kind of been like, oh, this is a normal part of aging. It's like, oh, this is menopause. You're going to pee your pants. Or this is menopause. Like your vagina is going to get dry and you're going to have discomfort with sex. And none of those things have to be true. They will happen, but there are things that we can do. And when we think of physical therapy, we think of exercise. The challenge is, is one, again, people don't even know that this muscle exists. And then two, they don't even know how to connect with it. So I think what we really want to focus is not just giving people a brochure to do Kegels, but it's really how do we teach them to properly contract this muscle. Welcome back to the Energized with Dr. Marisa podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marisa, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones, optimize your metabolic health, and feel energized in your body so that you can age powerfully and wake up feeling amazing in your body for many years to come. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. When it comes to pelvic floor issues, the struggle and disruption is real for millions of women worldwide. I hear from so many women who plan their days around the availability of a bathroom or who wear pads every day to prevent leakage or who stop drinking liquids before a certain time and plan for the just-in-case by putting clothes in their car to avoid having an accident. They are worried that they're going to have an accident in public and feel embarrassed they can't control the urge to go. No woman should stop going and doing the activities she loves, including having sex, for fear of leakage or due to severe pain. The good news is that we have a lot of control over how strong and resilient those pelvic floor muscles are, and that is why I invited the vagina whisperer, Dr. Sarah Reardon. Sarah's joining me today to break down exactly what we can do about pelvic-related leakage, pain, and discomfort, and how we can set ourselves up for success if we begin to experience any level of pelvic issues. Because here's the thing that she's going to articulate so well, is that none of us deserve to suffer in pain and discomfort. Understanding our pelvic floor muscles and how they work is really that first step. And then applying a lot of Sarah's recommendations and solutions is the next one. And luckily, she knows how to make it so easy, no matter what the age. Plus, she's going to be taking it a step further and providing us with a free guide on how to prevent or overcome pelvic floor issues. And that link is already in the show notes. Now, before I bring Dr. Sarah Reardon onto the show, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Sarah Reardon is a board-certified pelvic health physical therapist and the Vagina Whisperer on social media, where she shares pelvic health education and exercises and advocates for normalizing conversations about pelvic floor problems. She also has an upcoming book, and I want to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Sarah, to the Energized Podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Mm, I'm so happy to have you. And I know, you know, I reached out to you because so many of my women are struggling with pelvic floor issues, leakage, accidental. I mean, I think all leakage is accidental. (laughs) 
but definitely unexpected. And I remember talking to my mom recently who has, she runs with a lot of friends and they're all in their late fifties and sixties. And she's just like, you know, so many friends of hers are, they know where the bathrooms are that, you know, they, they're, they're planning their running route around bathrooms. And she's like, here, we're, we're just trying to be healthy. Like this is unreasonable. And I totally agreed with her. And I told her that I was bringing you onto the show. Um, and I was like, it, it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, I know. And I, you know, I think it's great that what's amazing to me is that women now are having these conversations. We're having them with our girlfriends, we're having them with our medical providers, and we're having them in this space like we are here. And I think that that just starting the conversation has been something that wasn't happening for so long. And then we're not able to get resources unless we start talking about it. So I'm I'm happy to hear that your mom is even talking about these issues and recognizing like, hey, we can do better than this. Yeah, absolutely. And so I know, I know she's, she gave me a list of questions to ask today. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but first I want to, I, you, know, I, you have such a beautiful presence and you have supported so many women. Like what, what was the call to do this beautiful work outside of the fact that this is such an underrepresented area in women's health? Well, I am a pelvic health physical therapist. So I went to physical therapy school 20 years ago, thinking I was just going to be like an athletic trainer for the New Orleans Saints and do sports stuff. And then when I was in physical therapy school, I had a professor who specialized in back then what it was called women's health. And I just got really interested because I thought, oh, that's pretty fascinating to learn more about your own body. And so I did a rotation in this specialty in pelvic health. And then I realized, wow, this is pretty fascinating to help so many people who are suffering with these issues that are so private, so personal, but they're just really greatly affecting their quality of life and that there's a solution for them. And that pelvic floor therapy, just like physical therapy for back pain or for a knee injury can also help with pelvic floor issues that, again, so many people experience, but they just thought they had to deal with, but there actually is. Here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst, especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention, belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise, hormones are involved in belly fat production, which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach. And that's exactly what I'm offering to you as a free gift today. My Belly Slim Down Guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat, along with recipes to reduce bloating, balance your blood sugar, and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning. So grab the Belly Slim Down Guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slimdown. That's drmarisa.com slash slimdown, and the link will be in the show notes. Mm, I love it. So, so you got inspired. So I love that. Yeah. And it wasn't a situation where I had a pelvic health issue. I think you'll lead, meet a lot of people in my profession who said, oh, you know, I had babies and it was so hard. And then I decided to get into this field. I was really fortunate that I just started in this field. But then as you know, you start going um, into your practice and you meet so many women who need help. And I'm thinking, why isn't everyone getting access to this information? Why did I just happen to pick the right profession where I I know my body. I understand the pelvic floor. I, I can, I had a wonderful birth and, you know, no postpartum issues, pelvic floor rise. And I said, everyone deserves this and it's possible, but we're just not getting the education or support that we deserve. 
Yeah, I'd love to speak into that. I would love to speak into what you would consider standard of care for women postpartum. And then also for women, so, you know, kind of two different demographics. And I think if we're struggling with postpartum issues and they're not addressed, then most likely, even if they kind of went, you know, maybe they they settled down a little bit, I find that a lot of it's kind of ramps back up um, during late perimenopause into menopause. And so I, I'd love to hear what you would consider kind of based on the landscape that exists right now, you know, what would, what would be the best and like, what should women really come to expect? Well, unfortunately, we don't get a lot of care here in the postpartum space um, in the United States. I mean, it's really boiled down to one postpartum visit with your medical provider around six weeks, and it lasts about five minutes. <laughs> and um, sometimes there's not even a physical exam. And you know, research is showing that 40% of women don't even attend that postpartum visit. And I think the reason for that is that there hasn't always necessarily been a lot of value to it. And there are just the logistics of life, childcare, returning to work, physical condition, where it makes it really hard to do that. Yeah, a six-week-old baby? Yeah. What am I supposed to do with them? Right. I mean, I remember going to that visit and being like, wait, that was it? Like, I spent 45 minutes packing up my baby and driving it for, for, for this five minutes. Um, and to get a thumbs up for sex and exercise, which I'm not interested in either of those. So, you know, I think that what I really think of when I imagine what pelvic health care could look like, specifically around pregnancy and postpartum, is that during pregnancy, we're getting education on how to prepare our pelvic floor for birth. You know, there's a lot of transformation that happens to our bodies physically, hormonally, stretching of abdominal walls, lengthening of pelvic floor muscles. And we start to see some of these pelvic floor issues pop up during pregnancy, like a little leak with coughing or sneezing or constipation and hemorrhoids, um, discomfort with intercourse or, you know, separation of the abdominal walls. All of these pelvic and, and core issues pop up during pregnancy and postpartum, they don't just go away. So now not only have we gone through pregnancy, but then we've also gone through birth where we may have perineal tearing or scar tissue or cesarean scar that's healing compounded on pregnancy. And again, little to no postpartum care that's proactively being implemented in our system. So we go through these huge transformations. Again, there isn't a real um, standard of care of how to recover, which ideally would include pelvic floor therapy. But then, you know, we go on to have a second baby or we enter into perimenopause or menopause and those hormonal changes just compound the pelvic floor issues that we were already experiencing. And so then we end up, you know, in our 60s, 70s and we're like, whoa, I don't have any control down there. I don't even know what's happening down there and I don't even know who to go to for help. And so I think that there's just so many opportunities in this chain to educate women early get them help earlier, and then acknowledge like, hey, if these issues do exist, there is pelvic floor therapy, which can help for them. Perfect. Thank you. I was just, you know, as the more and more I feel women can hear what it really could look like or what it should look like, I think they may hopefully start advocating, especially if they start to notice the symptoms that you mentioned, one during pregnancy and then in, in postpartum. And I feel like we do, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, that we do a somewhat better job for women in pregnancy than we do postpartum? Oh, I mean, you're, yes. <laughs> I mean, I can speak from personal experience from everything from going to monthly to, to biweekly doctor visits. And, you know, even when you get like a close parking spot at the store and I'm going, okay, I need that after the baby, not just when the baby's, you know, baking in my belly. And so, but yeah, there's so much care given during the pregnancy period. 
And then after you have your baby, it just like plummets. And then there's practically nothing. You can't even get a medical provider on the phone sometimes. And so, you know, as pelvic health therapists, what I've really enjoyed doing is working with women during the pregnancy process. We come to think that just aches and pains and leakage is a normal part of pregnancy where there's actually so much that can be done to help make that experience more comfortable and to help prepare you for birth so that you're less likely to experience postpartum issues. Again, I think it's all about giving people education and information, just as you do with perimenopause and menopause. It's like, why are we waiting to like, you know, we feel like we're getting run over by a train to actually get some help. We should be doing this in advance so that we know how to prepare for these issues and also even prevent them. Mm, absolutely. Um, the next question I kind of want to lead in with is, I know women are looking for either, do I need to go find a specialist? <laughs> is there a specialist near me? But also, are there things I can do at home? So that I can, I know some women are like, is it, is it severe enough that I need to go to a specialist or is it a program? You know, I know from my, a lot of my mom's friends, they were like, is there a program I can do? And so I just want you to, you know, kind of, I, I know some of these answers as well, but I was just curious for you to just speak into how do we know when a therapist is the right move? Right. So I always say like, if you have an issue that is bothering you, whether it's as small as a little leak with a cough or sneeze or back pain, getting out of bed in the morning, or you just never got your tummy back after having a baby or vaginal dryness causing pain with sex. I mean, so many different things. Um, it's always valuable to see an in-person provider if one is available to you. But again, there's accessibility issues with cost or insurance coverage or, you know, scheduling. And so there's online programs like mine. Um, it's called the Vagina Whisperer. And it, you know, it really helps kind of bridge that gap between having to see somebody in person all the time versus feeling like I don't know what to do or even where to start. And so it's an online exercise platform that really walks you through like, how do you strengthen your pelvic floor? Am I doing a Kegel correctly? If I'm ha having pain with sex, do I do Kegels or I do relaxation work? So really all of the kind of symptoms that people would typically have that drive them to pelvic floor therapy, you can access those things at home. And again, you know, think about it like pre-COVID, it was like we had to go to the gym to go to an exercise class. Well, we know that things have changed and there's just so much more accessible to us from the comfort of home that's affordable. And that can actually just help us get started um, to really start working on these issues versus seeing like we have to see somebody. Okay. That makes sense. And let's say someone is thinking about going in and seeing someone, you know, basically symptoms are so disruptive. They're looking, they're like, I probably need to take, take it a step further and then have a program that can help me on the kind of, you know, on, in terms of maintenance over time. And I would love to talk a little bit about maintenance in just a second as well. On the other side, like how much maintenance a woman would, would consider needing depending on the situation. But, you know, I know so many women, there's a lot, there is a lot of apprehension and, you know, it's not being talked about a lot about what can I expect when I when I go to these visits? Like, what are what are the types of things that we're going to be exploring when I make this appointment? Absolutely, and it's so um, it's so mystical. Like, wait, what is pelvic floor therapy? And people are like, what do I wear? I'm like, you can wear whatever you want because you're going to be taking your clothes off. <laughs> so, it so you know, I think you can search for a pelvic floor therapist in your area. Um, you can just do it on Google. There's a couple of websites you can go to. And, um, you know, I think some of the best things is asking a physician or asking even a friend, you know, another woman who's in your community, because most people have heard of this at this point. When you go in, the first visit is actually just a lot of information gathering from your provider. The sessions are about 45 minutes to an hour, which is a luxury in the medical field to be able to really sit down with a patient, 
ask them plenty of questions and really get an understanding of what their experience is and what their goals are. So you may come in and say, oh, I have leakage with jumping, but I say, okay, let's talk about your bowel habits. How are you pooping? Let's talk about your childbirth history. Let's talk about your menstrual cycle. Let's talk about your exercise habits. Because I want to get a really clear picture of what your life looks like at all of the pelvic health symptoms that you might be experiencing that could be related, but you just kind of don't realize it quite yet. And then we do a physical exam, which includes kind of checking your abdominal wall for separation or any scar tissue if you've had abdominal surgeries, um, looking at your low back and hips and just looking at muscle and pelvic imbalances. And then the pelvic exam is actually a vaginal assessment. So you undress from the waist down, you lie down on a comfortable table. It's not stirrups, but you are lying down covered in a sheet. And then the therapist uses their finger to um, insert into the vaginal canal. And that's how we access the pelvic floor muscles. And we'll ask you to squeeze like you're doing a Kegel, push your bear down like you're having a bowel movement. And that lets us know like if the, the brain can connect to the body when you're asking it to do things. And then we assess for muscle strength down there. We assess for muscle tension. And that lets us kind of know where to start. If it's a weak muscle, we want to strengthen it. If it's a tense or tight muscle, we want to work on relaxation first. So it's like a muscle, like any other muscle in your body. We just access it through the vagina or in some cases through the anal sphincter. Okay. That's what I just wanted to give women an idea of what what's to come, and then obviously a pro, you know protocols given from there, and yeah, based on what is found, they start you start again. It's muscles, <laughs> it's muscles, it's ligaments, <laughs> right? And I think it's one of the things that we don't even know that these muscles exist. You know, when we're talking about our bodies, I mean, my eight year old son just took anatomy in his school, and they go they learn about the bladder and the heart and the lungs, but then it just jumps right down to like the knees and the ankles, you know, and so we kind of miss the education about this whole part of our body and the way that our medical system is set up. is like, go to somebody for your uterus, go to somebody for your colon, go to somebody for your bladder. But there's a whole muscle component down there that is integrated into all of these systems that can often be overlooked as a source of issues like urinary leakage or painful sex or even back pain. And I often know that there's an, there can be an inflammatory component as well. You know, I know that a lot of this is working with those muscles and ligaments, but for your recommendations, you know, are you also making recommendations around reducing inflammation and increasing, you know, vascularity in the area? Uh, I was just curious, what are some of the kind of needle movers for women that they should be thinking about outside of obviously the neuromusculoskeletal system? Right. So I really, I mean, I feel so fortunate that we have a great community of practitioners here that are, I'm based in New Orleans. And, you know, I always say that pelvic floor therapy is really one piece of the puzzle. I don't think that we have all the answers. And I often work with acupuncturists with, um, you know, if it's the birth and postpartum space with doulas and postpartum doulas and lactation consultants, but also nutritionists and naturopathic physicians and medical providers and physicians. So it's really, I'm one piece of this puzzle. Sometimes I'm the first piece that says, okay, let's get you out to some of these other providers who are really savvy in this pelvic health arena. But, you know, I think we address the musculoskeletal piece. And I think we can make general recommendations about just general exercise and stress relief and central, you know, nervous system desensitization. But, you know, I often refer out to somebody who's going to do that job better than I can, whether it's a yoga therapist, an acupuncturist, a mental health therapist, because we want to work as a team and we all have our lanes that we are really the best at. And so I, I think it's just, we're going to benefit the patient most if we can refer to somebody who is an expert in that arena. 
Okay, that, that makes so much sense. Um, I want to jump over because I know we spent a little bit of time on pregnancy and postpartum. I know this a lot of when women are really beginning to experience these, these issues for the first time. But then that next kind of window where we start to see women having leakage or they are, you know, racing to the bathroom, dealing with incontinence is going to be in menopause and peri and, and also even perimenopause. And and I would love to kind of hear what are some of the changes that we should be looking out for. Um, are there recommendations outside of, you know, pelvic floor work that we should be considering? I feel like a big part of this is, is probably due to a lack of estradiol that's keeping things together. Right. So, um, you know, we are having babies later in life. I'm 41 and I had, you know, finished having babies at 35, but I have many friends and family members who were having their first or second baby in their forties. And so we're going from pregnancy and postpartum, and if we decide to breastfeed or lactate, that's a whole nother kind of hormonal season that we're experiencing. And then we're really entering perimenopause within like a five-year time span. So we're jumping from this huge physical transformation to this another huge hormonal transformation, and it's like we can't even catch up. And so, um, you know, what I really see during those timeframes is when you are postpartum and breastfeeding or lactating, you have really low estrogen levels. And what happens is when you're producing breast milk, you have high prolactin, which causes low estrogen. That's why you don't get your period for a long time. So we go through this like long, low estrogen period. And then when you enter perimenopause and menopause, it's kind of a similar roller coaster where your estrogen levels start to decline. Um, your progesterone is kind of inconsistent, spiking and then declining. And so you get these kind of crazy roller coaster hormones of symptoms. So Estradiol is a form of estrogen. And what estrogen does to the pelvic health or the pelvic floor tissues is estrogen plumps up the vagina. So it, it helps with vaginal lubrication, increased discharge, thickening of the tissues. And when we don't have estrogen, which starts to happen in perimenopause, those tissues get thin and dry and weak. And that's where we start to see like, oh, I just, I didn't used to leak when I coughed or seized, but now I, I just had a little, like, I want my pants, I think, or you know, sex is kind of starting to feel a little bit drier and I feel like I need more lubricant or even like recurrent infections start to occur, urinary tract infections or bacterial infections because the pH of your vagina is changing because it doesn't have that same hormonal balance. So you'll start to see those little things creep up, but when they go unaddressed, then it just tends to get worse. It doesn't necessarily move in the right direction and get better with time. So some people opt for hormonal supplementation of using creams or suppositories or, you know, systemic hormone replacement. Um, there's a lot of kind of natural things that you can do. There's moisturizers that you can use that are all natural and organic on your vulvar tissue. You can work with a pelvic health therapist to help strengthen the muscles proactively. So again, I think that these are things that we kind of want to see implemented proactively versus women dealing with these issues for a long time. And then they feel like it's too late, which it's never too late, but they've just further progressed and they're starting to affect their quality of life. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously there's estradiol that you can just be applying vaginally that isn't systemic, that can really support um, if women are concerned about that. And also I know a big part of a loss of estradiol is even a loss of muscle mass. And so, you know, these are muscles too. These are, you know, pretty decent sized muscles. And so I was curious if that was playing a role as well as that we were kind of weakening these muscles over time. Absolutely. I mean, when you, again, these estradiol and estrogen like thickens up those tissues. So think of when you flex your bicep and you see like a nice, a nice bicep muscle in your arm. 
Well, imagine that muscle gets kind of thinner and smaller over time, just naturally, if you don't work the muscle. Well, estrogen works the muscle and when we have less of it, that muscle gets thinner and smaller. So when you cough or sneeze, that muscle can't turn on as well to prevent leakage. Or, you know, when you have the urgency to run to the best restroom, that muscle can't turn on as well to hold and pee or poop so that you can get there in time. So you'll start to see those things happen. It's because the muscle is getting weaker. So again, we want to think about hormonal supplementation, but also, you know, these are skeletal muscles. And we know with aging, we have to load our body differently. We have to weight train. We have to strength train. And you kind of have to do the same thing for your vagina too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what I wanted to really get at is like, you know, it's um, it, when it really comes to muscle, it's a very use it or lose it type of situation as we get older because we're losing it default due to the fact that we've lost this critical hormone. You know, muscle protein synthesis becomes very challenging and, um, and we just start to lose that lean body mass. And women will obviously experience it in our bigger, like our quads and our leg muscles and our glutes and our, but we don't, I don't think we really think about it when it comes to our pelvic health. And your vagina, right? Yeah, exactly. We've never, it's kind of been like, oh, this is a normal part of aging. It's like, oh, this is menopause. You're going to pee your pants. Or this is menopause. Like your vagina is going to get dry and you're going to have discomfort with sex. And, and none of those things have to be true. They will happen, but there are things that we can do. And when we think of physical therapy, we think of exercise. And this is absolutely exercise for your pelvic floor muscles. The challenge is, is one, again, people don't even know that this muscle exists. And then two, they don't even know how to connect with it. So I think where we really want to focus is not just giving people a brochure to do Kegels, but it's really how do we teach them to properly contract this muscle? How do we teach them how to increase the intensity? Like you can't just do Kegels sitting at a red light. That's not where you're leaking urine, right? It's like you want to learn how to use the muscle, strengthen it properly, and then use it when you need it throughout daily function. I want to dive a little bit into that because, um, and I know that for some women, it these muscles are hyperactive. And so obviously figuring that out. And I know that in your program, you you give women kind of step-by-steps of knowing, are we, is this hyperactivity, spasticity, or is it that we need to, re, you know, and relax these muscles or that, no, your muscles are getting weak and we need to strengthen them. Um, and so there's obviously those first two pieces. It's just kind of figuring it out. And I know for women in peri- kind of menopause is that there is definitely, there could be absolutely a yes and, but I feel like that weakening is very much happening as well. And so I'd love to speak into what are some of the things I, I, and I, and I don't recommend anyone just like you said, just get a pamphlet and go for it. Like, I really feel like every, we all need guidance and we all need, you know, a, a comprehensive program to walk us through it, especially something like this. As you mentioned, it's just not something we really understand and know. We don't necessarily know how to connect to it. And then most definitely how to actually strengthen it. But from what the research and, and, and the literature that I've looked at is that this really doesn't have to be our fate. Like this, it doesn't have to be this decline that women are just having to wear, you know, some type of diaper or having to know where the bathrooms are at all times. And I know so many women have rules around stop drinking water, you know, before a certain, it just, just like their lifestyles become so um, orchestrated around not peeing their pants that that doesn't feel very fair at all. And so what are some things that we can do to really get started? Right. You're so right. I mean, I think about this all the time where it's like, even if I'm on my period and I'm like, I'm thinking about where's the bathroom? How long will this, you know, tampon or cup last? Like, where's the tissue paper? Where's it's like this constant 
thought process that's consuming space and energy in our lives that nobody else even knows is existing, but yet it's such a, a, a daily experience for us. And and I think when people start leaking urine or they're having discomfort with intercourse or bowel movement issues, it starts affecting their quality of life. And that's where I think people really start to put their foot down and say like, okay, this is not what I want anymore. I could handle a little leak with a cough, but now I can't travel or I can't work out. So, you know, the way that from all of those things, when I, you do want to determine whether you have tension or whether you have weakness. And there's kind of some symptoms that go along with most, you know, each of those pathways. I have a quiz on my website that really helps kind of people determine, okay, do you need to work on strengthening first or do you need to work on relaxation? More often in the perimenopause and menopausal space, it's weakness because we're losing skeletal muscle mass. We've got decreased collagen support and we've got decreased hormonal support. So it tends to lean towards the weakness track. And the symptoms do as well, like leakage of urine and things like that. The first thing is you have to kind of learn how to do a pelvic floor contraction. And a pelvic floor contraction is what's popularly known as a Kegel. So it's a contraction of your pelvic floor where you imagine like you're stopping urine or holding in gas. So it's if you're peeing and you want to stop your stream, that's a Kegel. Or if you're like in an elevator and you have to fart and you're trying to hold in gas, that's a Kegel. So it's the front part and the back part of the muscle together. Some of the ways that I tell people to ensure they're doing it properly is you can get a mirror and kind of look at the area and see if you're kind of seeing those muscles kind of wink and lift up versus push out. You can sit on your hand. So when you sit on a flat hand underneath you, you're going to sit just kind of with it right between your thighs, um, underneath your sit, between your sit bones and do what you consider a Kegel, which is like a squeeze and a lift of those muscles. You should feel the, the muscle kind of lift away from your hand. If you feel it pushing in, you're likely doing the opposite of a Kegel contraction. Um, you can insert your finger into the vagina and just kind of see, do you feel a squeeze around it? And then lastly, just the way that you think about it. Like I tell people when you're doing a Kegel contraction, imagine sipping up a thick smoothie with a straw through your vagina. So you imagine your vagina is like sucking up through a straw. It's a squeeze and a lift maneuver. And I think when you can kind of start to imagine that and practice that, you can really connect with those muscles. And then we want to bring that contraction into exercise. So you can start with doing bridges or a ball squeeze or even a squat doing that Kegel contraction. And then you can bring it into, you know, bicep curls or lunges or all kinds of different exercises, but you've got to turn, find the muscle, turn it on. And then use the muscle during exercise. And that's really what my program is, is it's not just sitting in a chair and doing Kegels. It's like you leak when you're bending over to pick something up or when you're getting out of your bed to walk to the bathroom with a full bladder or walking to the restroom. So we want to teach those muscles to turn on and strengthen in those different experiences. Right. Like in real life, like practical life living. <laughs> you strengthen it and then you put it into function, right? And that's really physical therapy in general. It's just for this specific issue, it's exactly how we do pelvic floor training. Okay. And that makes so much sense. And I was thinking, you know, so many women that are runners, you know, and what, what's the, rec I mean, obviously I was thinking, I don't know, this is a silly question. I know it's my, my mom, my mom's like, are we supposed to be doing Kegels the whole time? But I was just like, <laughs> no, <laughs> but what I would say, there's a couple things you can do is you do the exercises for that the same movements you would do during a run. So running is a single leg sport, actually, because you're like jumping from one. So you practice doing a Kegel contraction with, you know, a, like a lunge or a single leg hop or a little jump, or then you start doing like, you know, just contractions and relaxations with walking. And then you can do it with running. And 
but you don't can do Kegels while you're running. I mean, ultimately we want the muscle relaxed actually during running. And then it's supposed to turn on every time your foot hits the ground, but you've trained that you've trained a Kegel and then a hop, a Kegel and then a squat, a Kegel and then a lunge. So the muscle starts to thicken and respond with that movement. The other thing is that, you know, oftentimes we still want to keep running, even though we're leaking. So then what do we do? It's like, you don't want to, if you've ever told a runner to stop running, they're like, I'm not, I'm not coming back to you, Sarah. Right. So there are some ways that we can modify that is that I actually encourage people to use an internal vaginal support. This can be as, you know, kind of DIY as a tampon. If you insert like a, a large tampon or a super tampon in the vagina before a run, it helps support the bladder and urethra. There's other over-the-counter supports, one's called the Revive, one's called Poison Preza. And those are all just kind of supports for the vaginal walls that aren't quite strong enough just yet. But as you're doing strengthening outside of your runs, you can use that support to prevent leakage and support your pelvic floor and your bladder. So it's not making it worse while you're exercising. And what is the consistency? Obviously in the beginning, more consistent. You know, I always say it's like one day I want pelvic floor therapy to be viewed like going to the dentist, right? So you go to the dentist regularly, but then they find that something's going on and then you have to get it fixed. Like you've got to commit, I would say eight to 12 weeks to a very, you know, consistent program, at least three workouts a week. They don't have to be a lot, but three opportunities to really contract and strengthen these muscles and using it when you need it, right? Turning it on before you get out of the chair, you know, doing a Kegel before you cough. So I would give that about eight to 12 weeks, but then you do have to have a maintenance program as well. Research is clearly showing that if you don't keep using this muscle, it will atrophy over time because we as women are losing muscle strength just with aging. And so again, I do recommend, you know, three workouts a week. They can be short, five minutes, 10 minutes, um, but just some consistency. So kind of like when you go to the dentist, you get the cavity fixed, you still have to brush and floss your teeth. Like that's a long-term maintenance you need to do and your pelvic floor needs the same attention. I really do appreciate that. And I, I wanted to, that's why I wanted to make sure we mentioned was that, was that maintenance was, you know, cause at the end of the day, we know that this, mu that these muscles are going to continue to atrophy if we don't keep them up. And that is the case for all of our muscles really in midlife. Um, you know, that's one of the, the areas, I mean, sarcopenia is such a, a, a big issue for women and it puts us a, at a greater risk for resilience and strength, you know, over time. And, and that's really the hope for me is that I want women to feel so resilient and strong and really able to do the things that they want to do and that they have dreams of doing, whether it's picking up their their little, their little toddler. One of my best friends is mom. She's only 62 and her little grandson is not even two years old and it hurts every time she picks him up. And it really breaks my heart because I feel like that is such a young, young age to be having these issues and, and not be able to pick up a little 20, a 28 pound toddler. And so I, and I know every, every, you know, dream of hers and hope of hers is that, you know, she'll figure out a way to continue to do it. You know, it sounds like she will. And I think it's one of those things that we have to train for these seasons in our life, you know? And so, you know, initially I did so much education for people and I still do about training for pregnancy and birth. Like these changes are happening in your body. We have to continue to take care of our bodies because they're transforming. And that same thing happens, I think, with perimenopause and menopause. And whether it's, you know, we talk so much about like osteoporosis and fall prevention as women age, but, you know, people are walking to the bathroom in the middle of the night because they have to pee. 
And that is what can lead to a fall. So we have to kind of even take a step back to be like, okay, we want to work on falls and balance, but like, why are they getting going in the middle of the night? Why are they getting out of bed? And so we have to address some of these issues that are real life for people, but we've kind of just, they're, they've been, they're so intimate and oftentimes embarrassing. And so, you know, we want to bring light to them to let people know like, Hey, you're not alone. We know that this exists. And we want to help you with it because you you don't have to live this way. You can pick up your kiddo, your grandson, whether without pain. And you can also travel and not have to worry about like you might poop your pants or, you know, go for a walk with your girlfriends and not feel like you are worried that there's not going to be a bathroom around. And so just small things like this in our life, we want people to be able to do comfortably and confidently. And I think that there's a lot of reassurance that, you know, obviously, you know, more and I don't know what the stats are regarding, you know, leakage in terms of you know, pee leakage versus you know bowel leakage. And but I know that a lot of your program in, you know really helps women to address both both areas. Well, and the pelvic floor has the opening to the urethra, which is where urine exits, and the opening to the anus where poop exits. So when you work these muscles, it works the both muscles, but. You know, research shows that 65, no, 50% of women over the age of 65 leak urine. So, and that's just what's reported. And that it's a smaller number for those who have fecal incontinence or loss of stool or gas, but fecal incontinence and loss of, you know, stool or gas is much more impactful on their quality of life. It's much more limiting. And so it may be less people, but it's also much more detrimental. So, All of these are important issues. They're all worth addressing. And I just want to also encourage people that it's never too late. People are like, oh, well, it's too late. I had my babies this long ago, or I'm this far into menopause. I remember one day in my clinic, there was, you know, a 27-year-old woman who was leaving and she was coming to see me for painful sex. And there was another woman who was 72 coming in for, you know, menopausal symptoms. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is what this type of therapy is, is that all seasons of life, women can feel supported and educated. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of the, the talk track for women in menopause is that it's normal, that this is just normal. This is just going to happen. There's nothing I can do about it. I mean, that's so often what I hear and it's, it's really heartbreaking because, you know, I, I know that that doesn't have to be that way at all. You know, it's normal that these symptoms occur, but it's not normal that we ignore them. <laughs> just like, like say that that's our destiny. And I just want to flip the script. I mean, I love men. I, I love my husband. I have two boys, but I just constantly in my head flip the script to be like, if there was a person with a penis walking around leaking urine and peeing their pants all day, or couldn't, you know, travel or couldn't work or couldn't exercise, like, we'd be having a lot more solutions. And instead of just saying like, oh, it just, this is what happens when you get old, buddy, just deal with it. Like, it's just not the case. Like when men have erectile dysfunction, we have medications for that. When women have pain with sex, it's like, oh, you're just getting old, right? And so I just, I just think that the work that we're all doing to really bring light to these issues, it feels a little bit like David versus Goliath. Like we're fighting the good fight to say like, we deserve better. But I do feel like the the needle's moving. I feel like we are looking at hormonal therapy and pelvic health therapy and exercise and nutrition and all of these things. So like, how can we support women during these seasons that yes, are going to happen? They are normal seasons, but just dealing with the symptoms shouldn't have to be part of our normal life. Yeah, it's 
you know, even just makes me laugh. I mean, not really in a way, but that so much of this is because we're bringing life into this world, like such a massive job and, you know, big responsibility and something that we should have so much reverence um, for. And yet it's just like, we're, it's just shoved over here. Like, oh, that's just, that's just normal. Or there's something you have to deal with. It's just the way it is. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty ridiculous, I think. Uh, and then the, the other question I had, cause I, you know, I know that so many women really began to, you know, obviously experiencing these things in postpartum. And then also then again, in, in menopause, I'd love to talk a little bit about, and prevention is what I'm getting at. And I know that something like this, so many women, it's just not on their radar until it is on their radar. Um, and I would love, you know, is there, obviously, is there a way that we can prevent or are there like even early warning signs where we should, t- we should take it more seriously than we're just like, oh, Eh, oops, you know. Right. Um, So there's always like a couple pelvic floor tips that I tell everybody that, again, we should be educated on these, but they are just simple things that we can do daily to help prevent pelvic floor issues down the line. And it has to do with like peeing, pooping, like daily stuff. So when it comes to urination or peeing, I tell people like, don't push when you pee. When you pee, sit down, don't hover over the toilet, relax, just take a couple big deep breaths and allow your bladder to push the urine out for you. You don't have to push or power pee. I think as women, as busy moms, we're notorious for trying to rush through these bathroom trips, often because there's like little fingers underneath the door crack, you know? But I think that we need to just breathe and like allow our body to function the way it's supposed to. When you push during peeing, it actually weakens your pelvic floor and can lead to prolapse and leakage over time. So just chill and don't push. For pooping, I tell people to have a squatty potty or a little step stool under your feet, lean forward and exhale as you're pooping or having a bowel movement, like really push, but don't hold your breath. When you hold your breath, it can also weaken your pelvic floor over time. Um, So managing your bowel movements and just daily urination habits are just kind of like what we should all be doing. And we don't even know that we're not doing it properly. And then, you know, breathing. I always teach people like, they're like, oh, I didn't come to PT to learn how to breathe. But I'm like, if you're holding your breath, you're holding tension in your pelvic floor. If you are exercising or, you know, lifting a kid or lifting weights and, and you're, you know, holding your breath, you're creating all of this pressure in your pelvic area that's going to lead to prolapse and hemorrhoids and hernias and abdominal separation. So learning how to breathe and exhale with exertion, learning how to contract your pelvic floor during exercise, like using the muscle when you need it, and then preventing some of these, you know, straining during peeing or pooping are just kind of daily things I I encourage people to do. When it comes to different things that should send people to a therapist, it's one, if you're having issues, if you're having pain, pelvic pain, vaginal pain, if you're having pain with urination or bowel movements, if you or having hemorrhoids or constipation or straining with bowel movements, if you are leaking urine, if you have overactive bladder, urinary urgency, anything that's bothersome in these arenas should be addressed. But I also think there are certain seasons that we should also send women, like pregnancy should be one of them that you proactively see a pelvic health therapist. Postpartum, absolutely. I have all of my patients check in six weeks postpartum. Perimenopause and menopause, again, you're losing that skeletal muscle and hormonal system that has propped us up for so long. And we need to proactively exercise and learn how to manage, you know, our pelvic health and our vulvar health. And then even seasons like when you start becoming sexually active, if you were having pain with sex, if you were starting to see a gynecologist and pelvic exams are painful, if you can't insert a tampon or a menstrual cup or a disc, 
we can see all of these seasons that we really do need support and guidance um, where it can be proactive, um, but then also potentially prevent issues, but then address issues as they arise as well. I love that. Yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking when it comes to standard of care of just like these are a part of those of your your appointments. You know, I I just got a mammogram. You know, I think about like all the kind of preventative looking at women um, as they enter into their early to mid forties, or you know, we're you just there are certain things that we're looking for and looking at and creating prevention around. And I just feel like it. You know, one we need more menopausal specialists and perimenopausal specialists that we can just get referred to. Like that is the referral because your typical OBGYN is just it's it's obstetrics um, and it's surgery. It's it's not. I mean, they've maybe had an hour. We know that's maybe an hour of menopause care. And so, yeah, how do you even refer out when you're not even educated on what to do about it? But I feel like that should be a part of the process is part of this, once we know you're really, you're heading into this transition, which again can be, I say perimenopause, she's, um, <laughs> um, it is, she's sneaky, <laughs> sneaky, 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 because you, like, you don't know you're in it often until you're in it. And, um, but that once we know we're in it, then, you know, having a consult to a menopause specialist, there's a consult to a pelvic health specialist where we're really just kind of um, checking those boxes. We're getting the DEXA scan to look at our, our bone health. And so that's what I'm really thinking about when it comes to standard of care of, you know, how can we really set women up for success so that they're not dealing with these disruptive symptoms in a big freaking chunk of their life? You know, we're talking about a third to potentially half, depending on when you get started. I think when you make, you know, you say it that way, it just really shifts your perspective that like half of our life, we're feeling like we're floundering a little bit. Um, and there are not enough hormonal specialists. I mean, we have the same challenge here locally where it's like after you have babies and again, we're all entering perimenopause and menopause in our forties and people are like, well, my doctor doesn't do that. Or, you know, and then once you realize you need help, it's a three to six month wait. And you're just kind of so it, or it's expensive because there's only one specialist who does it. And so I just feel like there definitely needs to be more education. And, and I see it happening kind of, I follow ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and that they are working towards educating physicians towards this um, kind of season of life and how to support patients. But I can't say that there's enough of them or, you know, I mean, I'm in a reasonably sized town and it's like, it's people go out of state to see specialists. And so it's, um, it's really unfortunate. And I think you were totally right that it needs to not just be a bottom up approach, but really a top down approach too. Cause we can go to a physician and be like, Hey, I, something's going on. I need this. I am a firm believer that people know their bodies best. When somebody comes to me and they're like, this is what I'm experiencing. I'm really just listening and putting the puzzle pieces together. And then my physical exam is just to confirm what I already think is going on. But people know their bodies. And so when they're going to someone, they've already been experiencing it for a while. They've finally worked up the courage to go. They've waited a long time. And then for somebody to just dismiss them or say like, oh, there's nothing you can do about it. It's like, it's completely deflating. And then they're still left kind of in the same place that they were, but they know their bodies and we do have to advocate for ourselves, but the system also needs to make a change as well. 
Yeah, agreed. Oh, yeah, it is. It is a lot. It is a process. You know, even for us who kind of know a lot of what's going on, it's still a process. And you know, I've I've been knowing a lot about. I have had some leakages with a sneeze where I've had to go, and as a mom, you know, just holding it because I'm trying to finish breastfeeding. Well, when I was breastfeeding my son, you know, and and then just on my way to the bathroom, maybe my husband made a joke, and uh, it, there it goes. You know, like I just didn't get there. Yeah, no, it happened. It totally happens. And but one of the things is like, okay. I'm, you know, when you're breastfeeding again, your estrogen levels are lower. So like, Hey, if I'm not using estrogen, I've got to be, you know, start my strengthening or, you know, use topical estrogen once you're done breastfeeding. So I think that there's just a lot that we can do. I mean, I'm a huge fan of hormonal supplementation. Like I tell people, if you can take use topical estrogen on your vulva and vaginal tissues, do it because it really does help plump and lubricate the tissues. And it's not necessarily going to solve your perimenopausal vulvar symptoms, but it can decrease the intensity of them and prolong how long it takes for them to get, you know, more intense. Uh, yeah, agreed, agreed. And uh, well, and my point there was that I knew strengthening was a, a critical piece because I also knew that my estradiol wasn't probably going to recover. <laughs> like it was, it was crazy to come. I breastfed t- for two and a half years, and um, it was like my body was like uh, just holding its breath until I stopped breastfeeding, and then it just all fell apart. Like it was like, it was like, just wait till she's done doing this critical function. And then, and so I, as a, as a prevention, you know, I felt like I, w- I was starting to do Kegel exercises to just really support that pelvic floor, you know, and knowing it, you know, like knowing that a decline in estradiol is, is happening. And a big part of that journey too is, you know, I'm, I'm getting on an estradiol patch pretty soon, like in the next week or so, just to help aid with that. Cause I'm, I just, I'm a big believer of every tool in the toolbox for women. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I think people, it feels, again, sometimes people are going to their physicians and asking for this. Now you don't have to have a pap smear for like three to five years. So you may not even be seeing a gynecologist during this entire experience. So yes, check in with your medical providers, get the hormonal support that um, is necessary for you. You may have to try a couple of different things. I always tell people, you know, like if you try something and it doesn't work, they're like, it's like saying I tried on pants and they didn't fit. So I don't wear pants anymore. It's like, you kind of have to try a couple of different things, work with a pelvic health therapist or do exercises, just be proactive. And I don't, it's not like you're doomed, but I'm like, it's kind of empowering. Like we can take this into our hands in some way and really feel like we're the drivers of part of this process instead of just feeling the passengers the whole time. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think you're absolutely right when you spoke into when women are finally coming to you, they're pretty clear, you know, and, and now it's just a matter of validating that and then taking those steps to actually get them better. So I do appreciate that, that really it is very much, you know, trusting in your own, your own body and trusting in your own symptoms and, and knowing that something, and sometimes you're going to have to really go for it. And, and like you said, not only the pants not fitting, that could be practitioners too, you know, and so... And it's a bummer to have to say, I know some women are like, it's just not fair that we have to advocate so hard. But at the end of the day, like no one's coming to save us in a way. Like we really have to take that ownership. And my my gratitude to so many practitioners that are on Instagram or TikTok that are really speaking in or into, into authors, who I, which I know you're going to be very soon, right? And that there are so many other amazing resources out there that can, that can at least empower you in the direction that you know you're going in the right direction. You know, even when I was, when I finally figured out I was in perimenopause, I wanted to blame it on so many other, I kept chasing rabbit holes. I was like, and I was, and here I am a, an expert in this, but I was like, is this 
is this really happening right now for me? And then when I finally took ownership, I was like, no, this is, that's what's going on. <laughs> like, this is what's happening, but it's like a, it's a moving target. So it's so hard to really um, validate, you know, it's really symptom driven more. You just start check. You're like, no, I'm checking more boxes than not at this point. But then, then it's about really advocating for the care that you deserve given the situation that you're in. And so, um, and that's really what I'm doing is I'm just checking a lot of the boxes to, you know, next get all the things I need. And so it's just a, it's a process. And I think that you kind of sharing your experience kind of, it normalizes the process. Like, Hey, this is confusing. I know this stuff. And it's still like, wait, what's happening right now? You know? And so, um, I think it's really validating. And I think again, when we say like people come in, they kind of know their bodies, but you know, it's, it's like, they're just oftentimes if you go to a provider and they're, they don't hear you, then like you do have to find another provider. And I feel this way, like we have to be the own advocates for our healthcare because nobody else is going to advocate for you. I feel this way for myself. I feel this way for my kids. It's, it just is, you know, just the way that the system works is that we have to be the drivers. And so um, I love that you're doing this work and, and educating people and sharing your own story along the way, because we go through these things as well. I will go through these things as well. I can already feel the changes in my body. I turned 40 and all of a sudden I was like, okay, this is different, you know, <laughs> like, okay, you know, and it just like, it happens overnight. And I've been in this field for almost 20 years. And so it is totally different when it happens to you. Um, but it's also like, we're just like everybody else, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm just so grateful to have you on today and, and so grateful for all the resources that you're sharing out there, because in terms of advocating, especially in this field, you know, a lot of women are not feeling heard and again, are told it's normal. And so I think, especially when it comes to pelvic health, there's a, a need for advocation. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having this. It's been a joy. Yeah, absolutely. And then I got your guide and anywhere you want us to steer you to, like, where do you want us to come find you? So I'm on social media, on Instagram, I'm the Vagina Whisperer, and on TikTok, I'm the Vag Whisperer, and um, you can find me on there. Are tons of like tips and resources and all kinds of kind of funny stuff in a Volvo costume as well. And then my website, if you're interested in my exercise program, is thevaginawhisperer.com. Thank you so much. It was so great to have you on, Sarah, and, um, and I'm so grateful to get to send my beautiful audience over your way. Thanks so much. All right, my dear. Thank you. With practitioners like Sarah in the world, there is hope for millions of women suffering with pelvic floor dysfunction. Even though it may seem like it's a normal thing that happens postpartum or postmenopause, it doesn't have to be the case. Now, if you are struggling with some level of pelvic health issue right now that we discussed today, take a moment and check out Sarah on Instagram or at the very least, go and grab her free guide. It's time for us to start seeking out support and community that we deserve around these concerns. We shouldn't have to live in shame and silence because we are experiencing pain-related issues around our reproductive organs and our pelvic floor. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and listening today. If there is someone you know who is struggling with leakage or prolapse or you know any type of issue around their pelvic floor muscles, please have them listen to this episode. Go follow Sarah on social media. And if you felt like this episode was really knowledgeable in helping you to move the needle, take a moment and subscribe to the show and quickly rate the show. The more ratings this beautiful show can get, the more we open the door for more women to step into their power and age powerfully. Until the next episode, have an amazing day. 